Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jason Dees. Welcome to the Sermon Talkback, and I'm joined today by two of the greats of Christ's covenant. First, we have Cynthia Chaps. Chapa, welcome, Cynthia. Howdy. Glad you're here. And uh, also Matt Nolan. Uh, Matt, great. I just want to say I, I so appreciated your prayer uh, yesterday um, in our service. It was, it, was, it, was, it was beautiful and well done and really helped me even just to kind of, as I was preparing to preach, just to meditate on the passage and just to kind of fix my eyes on the passage and and directing it just hopefully toward worship. So I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. It's an honor. Yesterday, of course, we continued in our series Ordo Salutis, uh, where we're talking about the order of salvation. Last week, of course, if you were here, we talked about regeneration. This week, uh, we talked about justification. You know, I actually had a good uh, question this week. Um, Somebody asked me, why, why did you talk about justification after regeneration? Or, you know, why didn't you talk about justification first? And again, that's kind of the problem of the Ordo Salutis, just so you all know. It's, it's not that these things, like in one sense, um, in one sense, like justification, like when does justification happen? Well, justification happened 2,000 years ago in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, but death justification is applied through faith, which in one sense, I believe comes of course, after, um, regeneration, after the new birth, after your heart is quickened or made alive to the things of God. But anyway, we talked about justification this week. We looked at Romans chapter three. Uh, so chaps, we'll start with you. Just any, any reactions to the sermon? Yeah. Um, I thought all of it was great. Um, the, one of the places that it really stuck out to me was when you talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21 um, that you basically described as the great exchange, um, that he did more just to forgive our sins, but he imputed the perfect righteousness of his son for us. Yeah. Um, so the way you explained it and drew it on the board, the way um, it's basically an exchange, the way you think an exchange of money, the exchange of debt. Um, I. That was just super encouraging. Well, and, and just, yeah, I mean, of course, I wish I could have uh, could claim credit for that. Of course, Martin Luther is the one that uh, put me on that. So Good job. <laughs> People have been saying that uh, long before Sunday. But, um, no, I think, to your point, Chaps, I think when I kind of, I guess, read Luther for the first time on this and kind of started understanding the concept of an exchange, it was incredibly helpful for me. Um, in terms of just understanding what salvation is. And, and in terms of understanding these big words that we throw around, and, and I didn't really talk about, I didn't use these words a ton yesterday. We were using some big words like justification and propitiation and expiation. But um, one of the things that Christians often talk about is the imputation of sin and the imputation of righteousness, which is what we're talking about here, where uh, in the cross, our sin is imputed into Christ, and uh, of course, in through our faith, His righteousness is imputed 
to us. And so through the gospel, through faith in Christ and in his work, through the power of the gospel, um, we actually receive a new record. And yeah, Christ has received our record. That's not only really encouraging, but also so humbling. Um, oh, it's, the way, yeah. Even the way you explained it during communion, the fact that, you know, every time we take communion, we are so, it's, you, you do the humble heart, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. And if it wasn't for Jesus' righteousness and this great exchange, like, that's all we would be. Yeah, the, the self-righteousness of Christianity that you often, like, hear about, right, or the pride of Christianity is so unchristian, you know? It, it is so against, really, the central message of, um, of the Christian faith. Uh, you know, I, I kind of referenced a little bit yesterday Luke 18 mm -hmm. and the parable that Jesus tells of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And if you read the Bible, that's like the whole Bible. Like, it's always the tax collector. It's always, it's the person who is humble. It's the person who has lesser social status, less, lesser racial status. Um, you know, of course, that was back in the day when genders weren't seen as equal. It was always the women that were more likely to see Jesus. It's always the person that, that no one else would pick that Jesus picks because, um, you know, as you say, like, you know, our understanding our need for Jesus um, is a humbling thing. And, uh, and, and again, it's not that wealthy people or successful people or whatever can't come to that place, but it's just harder for them. Mm -hmm. Matt, what's your uh, reactions to the sermon? Well, I was uh, particularly struck by how you talked about the code that we live by and how everyone's living by a code. And um, I love that you actually threw a Rocky Balboa quote in there. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing you preach about, it was almost about 20 years ago at J Tranch, and you threw a Rocky Balboa quote oh, in man. your sermon. I never forgot it. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, even Rocky Balboa, living by a code, if he could just go the distance with Creed, he'd uh, prove he wasn't a bum. I knew I wasn't a bum from so, the neighborhood. Yeah, and you know, we all, we all do that. We all, we all got something. Code. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, and, and I, yeah, I mean, we all got something. It's just what we're just saying. Like, we, we, that's why it's hard to become a Christian. I think that's why it's hard to ever have really justifying faith because we all like our performance record. We all like our validating performance record. And, um, you know, that's why people still celebrate things that they did a long, long time ago. And uh, it's why people work so hard. It's why people, you know, I was actually uh, talking to a guy this weekend and we were talking about a mutual acquaintance who is... Um, who should retire, uh, you know, it's a, it's a married couple and one of the spouses is retired. I don't want to give too many details, but one of the spouses is retired. The other one should retire. They could go and be with their spouse. They could hang out together. But this particular person cannot quit working because so much of that's their validating performance record. You know, they're proud of their work and, uh, and they don't need to work and it's, you know, but they just can't quit because, um, I think some of it is wrapped up in their identity. So yeah, we all have a code, and uh, and it's it's when we realize again that's why verse twenty. If you really have been living for your code for so long, and somebody says to you, "Your code will never save you. You'll never be justified by your code," uh, that's a very offensive verse. It's a, it's kind of a shocking mm -hmm. verse, really. Yeah, so. yeah. That that notion that um, we're all trying to do something to prove that we're worthy. Yeah, you know. 
Um, and Paul, like you said, in Romans, he says, everybody's trying to do this. Everybody's trying to justify themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, that was convicting. Yeah. Chaps, I know you had a question. Uh, I think I'm a little nervous about it, but go ahead and uh, you can go ahead and go and ask it. <laughs> I'll ask that one later. I'll ask the, the first question I had <laughs> just to keep listeners listening. Um, you talked about propitiation yesterday, and you kind of gave the effects of what that meant for us. Um, can you define it a little bit better of like what this word means? Yes. Yeah, so propitiation, it, it's getting at this idea that that God is putting forward Christ as a propitiation, right? That not only expiates or pacifies or assuages or whatever word you want to use God's anger against us and against our sin, it brings us up into this right relationship with God that is actually pleasing to God, that God is delighting in. You know, actually, Mm. last night we had a little dinner, and I I read that passage from uh, Psalm 149, that God, God delights in his people. So we go from being his enemies in our sin, we go from being objects of his anger, uh, you know, Ephesians 1, the rest of, like the rest of mankind, objects of God's wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has for us, has made us alive in Christ. And then I love, you know, that Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2, rather, Ephesians 2 passage where it says, so that in the coming ages he might show his, the immeasurable riches of his love for us in Christ Jesus. So not only have we gone from being like the rest of mankind, objects of God's wrath, now we're gods, and again, I, the thing that I like, the, the, the relationship that I like, I mean, I like bride, I like all these things, but I like children, yeah. mm-hmm. because what, who do you like to delight in more than your kids? Matt, you're a, you're a good dad. You just love, when your kids <laughs> oh, yeah. are happy, you're just happy, you're just, oh, yeah. you delight in them. Yep. You wanna give them good gifts, you want to like show them kindness, you wanna show them new things, you wanna teach them new things. Uh, I took the boys, they did this little golf clinic, and I'm not even a golfer. I don't even really golf that much. We did this golf clinic at Bobby Jones on Saturday, and they thought it was so great, and I had so much fun just showing them how to golf because a father delights in his children, and and that's what propitiation has done. It's taken us from a, a state where God's anger, if you will, or his wrath was rightly pointed at us because of our sin, and it has put us into this place where all of a sudden he is delighting in our righteousness and that is just an amazing thing um that's propitiation i mean that's an amazing thing to think through i remember uh one time i was i did these summer courses in oxford and um when i was in, in seminary we would have like these lectures that would that would speak and we had this british guy i can't even remember his name now but he came and he was talking about this and i'll never forget this he said it's not as if when you come to Christ that you're brought up to naught. And, you know, so he said, it's not that you're brought up to naught. And I was like, what is, I have no idea what he's saying. Because, of course, I wasn't thinking N-A-U-G-H-T. <laughs> I just thought he was saying it's not that you're brought not. up to naught. Yeah. But he was, he was, it's not that when you come to Christ that you're, that you're brought up to naught. But it is that you're brought up you know, brought up to the heavenly realms with God. And so, um, 
Anyway, but I, that's that's exactly he's exactly right. Like it's not that it's not that when we come to faith in Christ, we're just like brought up to zero mm -hmm. and told like, okay, I forgive you that once, like never do that again. You know, give you a slap on the hand. Which actually, that would be amazing. I mean, if you think about like God's righteous wrath against the sin of humanity, just being brought up to not is like not a bad deal. That's expiation, but propitiation. The idea of propitiation is that we're like brought beyond zero to a plus 10 or to a plus 100 or whatever it is to where all of a sudden we're sons and daughters of a living God, where in the coming ages, God wants to pour out the riches of his love on us. Um, and so that's the amazing news uh, of this gospel that we believe in. Matt, do you have a question? Yeah, so um, kind of around that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, you mentioned that and Chaps mentioned it earlier, uh, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, um, when Paul talks about for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so my question about that verse is why does he say that you know Jesus um, had to be sin why yeah. doesn't he say you know he just took on your sin why does it say he had to be sin yeah and uh, I, you know I I actually meant to do this before this but to look at the language there but but what that's getting at is is the idea of guilt. Um, so, you know, if someone, you know, we, we often say, for example, like in Christianity, like hate the sin, but love the sinner. And obviously like, yes, like we want to be people that are, we never want to accept sin, but we want to be full of compassion and love for people who are sinners. Obviously we are sinners that need compassion and love and care. And so I, I totally get the, the idea of that statement. However, it's it's not really how uh, it's not really how like that works out. Like when if somebody were to murder someone, you know, we don't say I hate murder. You know, uh, you know that poor person that murder took in and you know took a hold of and killed someone else. As if murder is it's. Murder is an action. It's it, it it's not a body. It's not a person. It's it, it murder as an idea can carry no guilt. People carry guilt, right? And so, if you murder, you become a murderer. You take on that sin. In a sense, you become that sin, if you will. And so, what it's saying when Christ went to the cross, he took on our record, and therefore became the sin that we are guilty of. He became a murderer. He became a thief. He became, uh, you know, whatever it is, a liar. For our sake, he became sin. And of course, in becoming that, he became the object of his father's wrath against sin, which is why it, it was the will of God to crush him, you know, on the cross. It was why he was forsaken by his father on the cross. And, 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 and I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember from yesterday in the sermon, I kind of, I was trying to draw this out with, with William Patton and it was kind of a, on the spur of the moment thing, <laughs> but I, I was hoping that the congregation would just get the idea. And I don't know if this was very clear or not. Um, but get the idea of how innocent Jesus was and how big of a deal it is, not just the imputation of sin to Christ is a horrible thing to think about because Jesus was so innocent. Yeah. You know, 
if you, you know, if you tagged a couple extra sins on me, you'd be like, well, you know, Jason's not, you know, Jason had it coming anyway, but <laughs> Christ is so innocent. Jesus is so innocent. He's so pure that for all of our sin, our worst sin to be put on him. I mean, just imagine the weight of the guilt and the, you know, the, the shame and just the feeling of separation between him and God, you know, all of these things that the imputation of sin uh, meant and then pile on that him receiving the wrath of God. And so we really start to think about the atonement, what's going on there. It's more than just this like sacrificial love act, though it is that, but it's, it really is like the greatest sacrificial love act because there's so many layers about it. Chaps, you have a, yeah. Um, so right now you defined uh, propitiation so the follow-up question is, um, does that cover the elect or everyone? So obviously a lot of people disagree on this. And here's, here's what I'll say uh, uh, on this one. The, the work of Christ on the cross is, is obviously only efficient for those who believe, right? Right. One of the things that, that I've heard theologians say is that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for all, mm -hmm. right? It was sufficient for all who believe, right? right? It was sufficient for all, but efficient for those who believe, rather. And so, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, was he dying for the elect in particular? I think there's parts of the Bible that would lead you to believe that. He was dying for his own. But... But there's also parts of the Bible that would lead you to believe that Jesus was dying for the whole world or right. for the for every sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I think is important for us to believe is what I just said, like the, the death of Jesus on the cross is only efficient for those who believe. And so I think what we need to do, you know, it, it, we'll never until we see the Lord face to face fully understand election and, and his election and, and why uh, you know, some people have access to the gospel and others don't. I mean, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, we won't understand like how all those things work out. I know that there's a reason that all of these things have worked out. And I, and I believe that all of these things we'll see as just and right and good. Uh, but what we need to focus on until then is just the fact that, okay, th I want to make this as clear and as personal for this person or that person or whatever as possible. I want them to have as much access to the gospel as possible so that they might believe. Um, and, you know, I mean, and the Bible is full of these kinds of mysteries, like Romans 9, of course, is a very, you know, very famous kind of section that, of course, Paul's mm -hmm. getting there. Um, but, you know, God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, right? It, right. It, it's, who are we to say? What, what, what is the clay to say to the potter? You should have made me this, or you should have made me that. Like, God is God, God is sovereign, and that is true. But then you, then you come around to Romans 10, and it says, well, how will they call upon the name of the Lord if they have not believed? And how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless someone is preaching? And how are they going to preach unless someone is sent? Um, and so I think that we should, you know, one thing I said, uh, one thing I've heard said before, and I, I really like it, like when I read Romans 9, I just want to be in awe of the sovereign hand of God. And I want to approach him with fear and reverence. And when I read Romans 10, I want to be inspired by the responsibility that God has given me and to willingly and hopefully joyfully 
be obedient to his call on me and his call on you chaps and his call on you Matt mm -hmm. to go and make disciples and so let's be faithful to that and uh, this is good news uh, and if you believe this news, it's the greatest news ever. And, and I want to be active and I'm, I'm certainly lazy and sinful and disobedient in this area of my life sometimes, but I want to be as active as I can be, um, at helping people to see their need for Jesus and the answer that Jesus gives, of course, which is what we're talking about here, the justification that is ours through faith. And, uh, that's a great thing to, to celebrate. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been fun. Cynthia, Chaps, Chapa, Matthew, what's your middle name, Matt? Robert. Matthew Robert. Roberto. Matthew Roberto <laughs> Nilano. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for the Sermon Talkback. I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. <laughs>